Hey folks, Chris and Rich here. Uh, just want to talk to you real quick about the folks we do our podcast hosting through. Our podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Now, if you're thinking about starting your own podcast or you're looking for the best home for your podcast, I want to encourage you to check out all the amazing features that Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, it's unlimited. So visit uh, podbean.com slash V-O-R radio to check it out today. And again, that's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash V-O-R-R-A-D-I-O. Thanks for checking it out. We'd really appreciate it. And if you're wanting to podcast, this is a really great place to do it. We've been doing with this with them for quite a few years now, and we've been very uh, grateful for all their help and for their the tools that they have available. Please give it a che- uh, check, and I think you'll be happy with it. So now we're on to the show. Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story. Yes, he's back this week. Hey! Uh, <laughs> joining you on this 15th of April, 2023. Uh, it is now the weekend after Easter, and uh, we are so glad to have you back with us. Thank you for being patient. We decided it was actually better to give you guys a week off and spend that time with the saints, worshiping Christ, our risen Savior, spending that time with your family, uh, considering the beautiful gospel message and the celebration of our Lord and Savior rising from the grave, defeating sin and death, and giving us uh, hope for eternal life. So thank you for uh, giving giving us that week that's kind of a gift gift to us it gives us a little bit of a break but mostly thank you for taking that time to spend that with your church families and in worship of our savior i uh, want to remind you as always we are part of the christian podcast community we have a, tr- always tried to encourage you to go check out the various podcasts we just had kind of the 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 head boss of that so to speak so <laughs> he'll cringe when i say that andrew rapport we just had him on here and uh, really encourage you to go check out all the various programs. Also want to encourage you to you know, check out our website, slavetothekeng.com, as we continue to put more stuff on there. <sighs> we try to. Um, number one, I, I really got to be better about not just writing on Twitter <laughs> and putting stuff on the blog. So I, I'm working on that. In fact, I've actually put a poll out ask, uh, on Twitter today asking people, how do you want to see new written content right now and and right now like it's split between the blog and the twitter threads you guys are you're not making this easy for me at at all really uh, <laughs> that's the sad part about this is is as much as i love having a site where we can write things and we want to hear from you uh about that uh you guys got to go there <laughs> you got to go to the blog if you want to read stuff. So we're going to encourage you to do that and sign up uh, as a follower of the blog as new content comes out. And then there are little hiccups with because we're not um, website designers. Uh, when things change and, and, and update, then we have little hiccups like Podbean doesn't forward over our 
podcast automatically to the website and I got to do it by hand and try to fix things and I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out some of those bugs. If you find that something doesn't load up or something somehow got missed and you follow the website, please, please let us know. Get a hold of us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com or just shout out at us on social media. I really appreciate when you guys do that, especially because I know some of you do follow us on the YouTube, which look, Rich and I have faces for radio, so we don't do video yet. Um, that's been a discussion between the two of us that has never quite come to fruition, but uh, we still have a YouTube channel because even with audio, we know a lot of you guys still tune in. So you can just look up Voice of Reason Radio on YouTube and you can actually follow there. But if something doesn't load, reach out to us and let us know because unless I go into YouTube or I go into uh, our Podbean account and check all the little boxes to see what loaded and didn't load, I may not catch it. So if you guys see something, please let us know. I uh, would love to know that. And again, if you ever have uh, ideas for the show, questions about the show, even concerns, complaints about the show, you can reach out to us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Best way to get in touch with us. So really appreciate your guys' patience with us. Uh, and thank you to all the new folks that seem to be showing up. There's been a lot of you guys that have been subscribing uh, via the Podbean app, from what I can tell, which has been really great. We've actually seen a shift uh, in, the, um, in the dynamics of the, where our downloads are coming from because Podbean will break all that out. And Apple Podcast, I think, is still the, the biggest uh, source for our downloads. But the Podbean app has been growing um, as a result of them being kind enough to put us on that featured page. And you, more and more of you have been showing up through there. So that's been wonderful to see uh, some new listeners coming in. Some of you have very eclectic tastes. Um, interesting thing about Podbean is if, if you're not just like, like a random set of numbers or, or and letters, because like you just don't really have an account, but you downloaded the app and, and uh, followed it that way. Uh, if you have an actual, like you set up some sort of account with the name, we're able to kind of say, oh, who's our new followers? Um, some of you have some very eclectic podcasting choices so thank you for for uh choosing to listen to voice of reason radio that's really fun to see the various things that people listen to and uh you guys that you've chosen to to make us part of your libraries is just a wonderful thing thank you for for doing that so with all that said I, i'm grateful 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 to have my brother rich back um now i i'm going to ask you guys and he, i don't know that he'll say it but i'm going to ask you to, to continue to pray for his family um I know, Rich, you showed it on, on social media this last week that uh, one, you had a family member that dealt with a stroke. Um, we're not going to go into all the details of that, um, but we just want you to continue to pray for his family, pray for uh, you know that family member, and uh, you know continue to lift them up. Because w even though we try to be here as often as we can, one thing we have always made a commitment to is family comes first. And so health-wise, family-wise, those type of things, if we can't put out a show, we just won't because family is always going to come before the podcast. And so sometimes we just might not be able to. And uh, we ask that you just continue to pray for those situations so that the, the Lord will you know, do what he intends to do and we bring him glory through all of that. So with all that said, how are you doing this week, brother? Well, brother, um, I'm going to trip you up. I'm <laughs> hanging in there like a rusty nail. <laughs> uh, I, I know that's not my typical response, but thank you for all that. Um, 
the Lord has been gracious to me and my family, and I appreciate the prayers of the brothers and sisters that, and the messages from them expressing concerns over it's my dad. And um, if you're not aware and haven't followed me much on Twitter, he went, he had, he had six, I'm not sure how, what you would call it. He had six bypass surgeries on his heart last summer, and he's been doing wonderful since that. Um, unfortunately, he had a stroke earlier this week, but he is stable. Um, he's starting to recover in small amounts from that. From what I understand, the, po- the real positive in this is the fact that he's not getting any worse. He is showing signs of, of improvement a little each day, and, and this occurred earlier this week, and today is Saturday, so you know we're not really far out from that. For me, it's been really frustrating because my dad lives over three hours away from where I live and travels really difficult for me at the moment, so I haven't been able to go see him. Um, he's had difficulty talking, so I really haven't been able to talk with him on the telephone much at all. So I do appreciate everyone's prayers. But getting back to what you were saying, um, yes, I'm hanging in there like a rusty nail. That's kind of an old inside joke between <laughs> me and Chris. But um, from this point forward, I'm just going to come right out of the chute boxing and fighting. <laughs> Chris, you made some very interesting observations earlier this week and from that we came up with tonight's topic in tonight's episode but before i hand it over to you and let you really get into the heart and the meat of the discussion i'm going to kind of set it up a little bit here um and i'm i'm some of what i'm going to say is from an article that's linked in the show notes but as everyone knows evangelical protestantism emphasizes correct doctrine and over the decades critics have sometimes portrayed a character caricature of the evangel evangelical position as teaching that as long as you believe the right things it doesn't matter what you do and they've done that in kind of a backhanded slap kind of way but sadly they're right the critics have been accurate in that assessment of professing Christians as a whole and as American evangelicals have been portraying themselves, especially over the last two or three decades, that's sad that the world looked and can see that, okay, you're claiming this doctrine over here, but yet what you're claiming you believe and what you're doing and living out, they do not match up. Um, And that's not biblical. The genuine, genuine Christian position is an understanding, a correct understanding, but between belief and practice. The the fancy words are orthodoxy and orthopraxy. But that is key that our practice lines up with our beliefs, because especially in today's day and age, and Chris, you'll get into this deeper. You go online and and with just a matter of moments you'll you can come across people that are claiming that they're biblical christians or that they hold to traditional orthodox christian doctrines or beliefs but yet they're supporting something that is completely contrary to what the bible states but 
we have to remember it's not just the fact that they claim to be a Christian that matters. Mm-hmm. And sadly, you know, we've all heard those that saying that you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, today, in today's age, you can't judge a church or gauge a church or denomination by their statement of faith. Um, Chris and I have been doing this almost seven years now, and you know, over the course of these seven years and nearly 300 episodes, we've done a lot of research, a lot of study, and you can go to a church's website, and they might have a statement of faith, but just because their statement of faith sounds good and reads good and sounds biblical, if you really want to gauge what that church believes, look for their gospel presentation, because you can discern far more about what a person, a ministry, a church, or a mm-hmm. denomination truly believes by what's in their gospel presentation. Nine out of ten times, they will not have a gospel presentation. And the ones that do, sadly, more times than not, it'll end with something to the amount of recite this prayer, and if you really believe it with your heart, welcome to the Christian faith or something along those lines. That's still predominantly out there, especially among certain denominations. You still see it, you still read it, not to mention everything else that you know Chris and I have discussed over the last few years, but it's it's important that we read that we remember that it's according to the Bible. Correct doctrine will lead to correct behavior. But the doctrine comes first. In Romans, Paul spends the first eleven chapters explaining correct doctrine. In Romans twelve one he transitions to correct practice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Emphasis, this is your true and proper worship. The word therefore means that the instructions that follow are based upon the doctrine that has just been explained. People claim that, well, I believe all these historical Christian Mm -hmm. beliefs and Christian doctrines. So that's all that I need to do is, is believe this. But that's not enough. We, our, our walk has to back up what we believe. Throughout the Bible, and as Isaiah and Christ re- reemphasized it in Matthew, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. True love of God, true love of Christ, means to completely submit to Christ in every aspect, thought, word, and deed. That goes back to the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. It's not a matter of, well, we agree over here. All this other stuff is just secondary, so we can disagree on that. No, it's being conformed to the image, likeness, and thoughts of Christ. It's not just enough to claim a belief, but that belief has to come about in your life in every aspect, and you have to take your thoughts and they have to align with Christ. You have to submit to Christ in thought, word, and deed. Thought, word, and deed. People despise the term lordship salvation, but that's exactly what it is. In the first part of Acts, Peter stated, this Jesus, God has made both Lord and Christ. God has made him Lord, ruler over you, and your Savior. 
people forget that because they do not want to submit to Christ in every area of their mm-hmm. life. Now, Chris, you had some really great thoughts on all of this this week, so I'm going to hand it over to you and, and let you kind of take it from there. Uh, as a, and great stuff, by the way, brother, as always, because it really does get to the heart of the issue. It's it's We can make an affirmation of core doctrines of the faith, and I, I remember that, and I think he may still use it, Todd Friel had a, a phrase where he called it file cabinet theology when he's talking about, um, if, if you're not familiar, Todd Friel is a host of uh, Wretched Radio, and if you're listening to us but you don't know who Todd Friel is, you really need to go listen to Wretched Radio much better. Uh, but anyway, my point in that is that he said that you know a church would have a great file cabinet theology. In other words, you could go to the file cabinet, you could pull out there what their belief statement would be, and it would sound fantastic, and they would sound orthodox. And then you would see what the, that church would do in its practice, and, and it was almost like there were two different things going on. And that's really kind of what we're talking about, what had happened. And, and I got to give uh, a shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Debbie Lynn Kespert. Uh, she goes by Headstick, Head, and I always say this wrong, Headstick Deb on, um, on Twitter. She, uh, she has her own blog site, and uh, it's the Outspoken Tulip. I'll, I'll put this in the, show, uh, the link to this article in the show notes. Deb actually wrote an article that was pretty much identical to what we wanted to talk about tonight. I could probably just read her article and be done. But she and I, I think she and I saw the same things this, this last week. And it was a series of ongoing conversations. And I don't want to get too deep into those particular conversations because that's not the point of this podcast. But just to give you a little backdrop, um, if you have followed kind of the ongoing saga of... of certain persons that are within the, how can I put this? They are persons that are consider either are considered or consider themselves experts in dealing with abuse that occurs within the church. And those individuals, there are several of them and of, and I will name one because she's very, she's very outspoken. Uh, and that's, um, Rachel Den, Den Hollander. She's kind of the, uh, go-to person for the SBC when it comes to matters of abuse. She and then many others within her, I would say, following have tried to make a case that John MacArthur is like lockstep arm-in-arm with uh, an individual by the name of Bill Gothard in terms of how they teach uh, biblical roles within the home and in the church. So John MacArthur teaches basically what we would say is a patriarchal or complementarian structure. In other words, um, men and women have equal worth in the eyes of God, but we also have different roles within the home and within the church. And to that, other, it, yeah. Uh, other words, she's the evangelian, the Christian donut. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, that, that, that's that's going to be the quote of the week. <laughs> The Evangelion, the Christian donut. Uh, yeah, that's going out with the show uh, with the show promotion on social media. Yep, we're using that one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, anyway, to getting back, I'm going to have our time focusing now. Getting back to this. So, he teaches what would be considered patriarchal or complementarian. In other words, we have equal worth, but we have different roles. Which, when you look at, for example, uh, the position, you know, the position of 
elder or pastor or bishop. Um, Timothy, 1 Timothy, Titus, make it clear that is a role reserved to men, qualified men. We can talk about that another time. Qualified men, not all men, not every man. Um, and therefore, women who are gifted with the various gifts and callings that God give them, use them in other areas, not in that specific area. Um, and in the home, yes, the husband is the head of the house as Christ is head of the church. The, uh, you know, the, the husband loves his wife sac sacrificially in the way that Christ died for the church. We love our wife sacrificially and the wife submits to the husband as unto the Lord. So there are these roles that we hold and these uh, positions of authority and submission that are a reflection of God's relationship with his church. So that's what you would see in someone like John MacArthur. Bill Gothard, however, way, way, way outside in left field, like legalistic um, to the point where he didn't even recognize, I guess, that there was any reason for divorce, despite the Bible allowing for it. Uh, basically, if if there was any disobedience in your life, all the bad things that happened to you were because of your... I mean, this guy was way out in left field. Uh, Ron Henzel, H-E-N-Z-E-L, has done a great couple of articles addressing the allegations that MacArthur is lockstep with, with Gothard and has just utterly dismantled it. And so one of the things that uh, that has come out of that is there are those who are like big into, hey, we, we, we care about abuse in the church. We care about, we need to stop abuse in the church. By the way, you will never stop abuse in the church. That's going to make a lot of people happy. You will never stop abuse in the church any more than you will stop any other sin that occurs in the church because we are in a fallen world. However, I do believe we should do everything possible biblically to address it to mitigate the possibility of it and we should address it biblically if and when it happens that but we do it all in a biblical manner and so what we're seeing is a lot of people like miss den hollander and others who are trying to equate these two together because they are arguing that patriarchal or complementarian structure is a recipe for abuse. Therefore, you don't do it. We got to replace it. And they aim for egalitarianism. And that's a very simplified way of, of, of discussing it. Um, however, the reason we come to this particular topic is what came out of those, those online discussions where individuals who are saying, look, your argument has been refuted multiple times over now to continue on this path is slanderous and libelous. You need to stop your your sinning. And if you continue to go this, but this is a you're, you're like demonstrating that you're on a path toward apostasy because you are willing to reject biblical truth, and you are continuing in this behavior of slander and libel. You are actually demonstrating that you are outside the faith. The more you continue to do this. And so that's where, and, and, and the reason I say that Debbie Lynn, I think, saw the same thing I did is she quotes basically the same uh, person that I, I saw. And when this particular individual was uh, being addressed, and it's unfortunate now because I went back looking for the, or the, the discussion to give a little bit more context. I don't know who she was talking to because, guys, I hate to say this. We really make it hard on folks when we decide, I'm just going to delete my whole conversation and go away. <laughs> Because now we can't figure out what half the conversation was. So 
it's unfortunate because I couldn't go back and give you the full context of what was being said, but she was being told that this, this is you're, you're trending toward apostasy here. And the response was, I affirm, as, as Debbie Lynn posts, posts an article, the response was, I affirm Jesus as the God man born of a virgin who made atonement for a sin, performed supernatural miracles to authenticate his claims, was crucified, died and was buried and, and rose again. And basically says, so how am I apostate? So basically what we're seeing in this post is what we see in Rich. We see this with a lot of different people. It does. It's not just this particular issue. That just happens to be the backdrop. That's why I wanted to give you a quick uh, summation of what this is about. This is the particular backdrop, but we see this a lot. Oh, I affirm the core, core doctrines of the face. I believe in the uh, the Trinity. I believe Jesus is is, is God. Uh, I, I believe he's the uh, perfect God man. I believe in, in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. I believe in the, the virgin birth. I believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the gospel. So I believe all these things. So salvation is by grace, and I believe that, and I've called upon the name of the Lord as my Lord and Savior, so you cannot call me a Christian. And we've talked about on this program many, many times about the necessity of adhering to the core doctrines of the Christian faith. You know, you can't deny, for example, the Trinity and say that you worship the God of Scripture. It's one thing to be in error. You're young in the faith or you're ignorant in the faith because you've not been taught these things and you affirm something that's unbiblical, yet someone comes alongside you and says, uh, brother, sister, here's what the Bible says. And you're like, oh, I've not seen this before. And maybe you're struggling through it. That's one thing. We've talked about that as well. But a, an outright denial when faced with correction, when shown scripturally over and over again, I don't encourage you to do this. But if you want to see that, watch what happened on Phil Johnson's uh, Twitter page this last week when a cult out of, and they are a cult, they are, you know, these guys are Pelagian. They believe in, you know, you have to earn and maintain your, your salvation through works. These are guys who have been <laughs> refuted time and again, historically. I mean, the, the, every, all the nonsense they say has been, ref is, is there for their, for their uh, correction. And they are absolutely vile and disrespectful and uh um let's just say that when you puff out your little sunken chest and you act like a bully from the great uh, uh schoolyard trying to <clears throat> i i'm tough <clears throat> you need to listen to me <clears throat> that's pathetic and and this is why i don't want anybody to really go give them any attention because they're trying to build their name but that's that's an example of an outright denial of Christian truth. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't, it's not by works. You don't, you don't earn your salvation. You can't maintain your salvation. If you are genuinely saved, then there are works that come from that. One of the things we'll talk about tonight. So we've talked about the necessity. If you profess faith is that you cannot deny Christian truth. You cannot deny who Christ is. You can't say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ for my salvation, but he's a man. No, he's not a man. He's God. He's God in human flesh. He's the God man. You deny that, you don't have Christ. You might as well put, uh, you know, put Bozo the Clown, kind of dating myself here, on uh, uh, in front of you. Give him the name Jesus and say that's that's your that's your that's your savior. It's not Christ. So if you deny core doctrines of the uh, of the Christian faith, you are outside the faith. 
That's just a simple truth. We can't, we're not saved by our perfect knowledge, but when we reject the knowledge that is revealed to us in scripture and we say, no, I can't accept that, that, that what that reveals is that the Holy Spirit has not indwelt you and you are not seeing the truth of scripture being revealed to you. And that's what the, he does. He reveals tr- all truth to us in the word. So these denials exclude us from the faith. Simple fact. Um, the problem is, this isn't an issue of denying the Christian, uh, the core doctrines of the Christian faith. These are individuals, whether they're people who claim to adhere to a more conservative biblical Christianity, or whether there's someone who's way off in left field, who is an utter espousing utter heresy. Both things happen. They are still saying we believe in these core doctrines, so therefore these are secondary issues we can disagree. Yes and no. Yes and no. There, there, there are there are issues where, when you are talking about something that is rejecting biblical truth, even if it's not a salvific issue, when you are being faced with biblical truth, and you continue to reject biblical truth in favor of an outside ideology that you've imported in, that's seriously problematic. And that's what we're seeing, for example, in this issue of we reject complementarianism, we reject patriarchal structure, women need to be affirmed and empowered, so therefore they need to be elevated, and that's the only way you can have and avoid abuse, and that's the only way you can empower women, that which is what God wants, none of which you can, none of which you can come to that conclusion from, from studying the Word of God. You have to start outside and import that in, and that's part of the issue. You've also got people like, um, just be careful, there is a Kevin M. Young and a Kevin D. Young. Kevin D. Young is good. Kevin D. Young is a great follow and for a person to listen to and read. Kevin M. Young is an utter heretic. And yet Kevin M. Young would say, how dare we reject trans people from the church how you know that's that's hateful that's just you know that's that's uh shameful we're hurting them and yet god's word makes it clear god is the one who determines our sex slash gender same thing it's not two separate things um let's stay in the real world don't don't come up with the make-believe argument that gender is is uh something separate please don't bring that if you want to talk about the person's sex slash gender, let's stay in the land, uh, in, in the real world, not in the land of make-believe. And yet, you know, Kevin M. Young would try to adhere to say he believes in Jesus uh, and, and would believe he's God, etc. I believe. I think that's what I've seen him say. He gets really into left field. But so, like I said, you've got these people that are utter heretics. You've got people who are just dis- you're disregarding the word of God in favor of an outside ideology. Those are issues, serious issues because it goes to what do we say we believe and what is the impact of what we believe. If we truly adhere to these core doctrines, if we have genuine faith, we've talked about this before, genuine saving faith is something in which the Holy Spirit indwells us and then by... Uh, by the outworking of, of uh, him, him indwelling us, we believe all truth and we live by all truth. So a true faith is a transforming faith that leads to changes in our thought, word, and deed, right? We, we're not going to just simply say, one of the biggest problems, and, and Rich, you and I talk about this a thousand times, 
uh, well, 284 times at, the la at last count on the uh, number of episodes we put out, um, that the bit, one of the biggest problems in the professing church is the, well, just pray this prayer, remember the date that you prayed this prayer, write it in your Bible, and don't ever doubt it. It doesn't matter if you're living in rank sin, you prayed that prayer, so therefore you're saved. It's one of the biggest problems within American evangelicalism is this easy believism that says what happens after doesn't matter. You prayed the prayer, that's all that matters. Well, a genuine transforming or genuine faith is a transforming faith. We don't do works to be saved, but when we are saved, works then follow. So uh, before we go any further, any thoughts on that, brother? Well, that brings up an interesting biblical truth. You go to the book of James, and James writes, faith without works is dead. And he goes on to explain that religion pure and undefiled before God is visit widows and orphans in their affliction. That's where the professing church, especially in America, stops. They don't go through the rest of that verse. He also says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world meaning that as true believers in Christ, the church doors are not meant to be a revolving door mm -hmm. for the world. And when it comes to in issues like ending abuse and all of these other issues that we, we, we're hearing about and empowering women and doing all of this, if you truly want to do that, then close the church doors to the world. Mm -hmm. Quit allowing the world to come into the church. Quit allowing every Tom, Dick, and Jane under the sun to walk into your church, sit in the pews, claim to be a Christian, without having examined them, examined them to see whether they're truly in the faith or not, to see what they truly believe, to see if, they, if their walk matches what they're talking. And I know people are cringing at this right now because I had a discussion earlier this week. But people, the church is not meant for the world church is meant for those saved in Christ. And if you think I'm wrong, look at the landscape of American evangelicalism today. You have lesbians, you have homosexuals, you have every letter in the LGBTQ plus alphabet under the sun claiming to be Christian, showing their flags, talking about gay pride and all these other things, having drag queen story hours in church. They think they're real Christians. They think just because they recited this prayer. They think because they decided to follow Christ, they're Christians. Guess what? We're seeing the results of the modern church growth movement. We're seeing the results of the seeker-sensitive movement. We've seen, we're seeing the results of, let's open up the church, church doors and invite everybody in so maybe somebody will take an interest in Christ and we can disciple them and maybe they'll eventually get saved. The modern church has done it all completely backwards. The word go in the Great Commission literally means go, meaning you go out from your church, you go into the world, you explain, you proclaim, you preach the biblical way of salvation. Christ grants salvation to those whom he chooses, and then they come in and they're granted membership in the church. In today's modern church, everything is done backwards, especially within certain denominations 
who are debating and, and supporting some of these things that we're talking about tonight. I'm not saying who because that's not the subject of tonight's show. But we have to remember over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are commanded to obey Christ, to submit to Christ in thought, word, and deed, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. In, in I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, not to even not to associate with anyone who claims the name of brother if they're guilty of sexual immorality and a list of other things. But sadly, that's exactly what the church today is doing. They're welcoming these people into the church. They're calling them brother and sister who are openly embracing every form type of sin known to man, calling them brother and sister and then turn around and, and, and are baffled and scratching their heads, wondering why the church is in the shape it's in today, why are we having all these incidences of, of women or children being sexually exploited or abused. Guess what? When you invite the world to sit among your pews, you're going to experience the same sin that the world experiences, but this time it's going to be happening among the pews instead of among the hedges of the world. That's part of the problem. That's actually one of the primary problems today is that people think everybody should come to church because if they don't come to church, they will never hear about Christ. They will never decide to follow Christ, which is a problem in itself. When Christ says, take up your cross and follow me, it doesn't mean you just make a decision, and oh, I'm going to be a Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. But we've got to remember what Christ says we've got to remember what the word of god says and it says if you love me christ stated and it's restated over and over if you truly love christ you will obey his commandments that's the last portion of the great commission which again is left off in all of these discussions christ said go therefore and make disciples of all the nation baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That last part of the Great Commission is left off as much as the last part of that portion from James, brother. Amen. Yeah, no, far too often, far too often. And to to go to the other side of that coin, because we're going to get, you're going to get told, oh, well, abuse happens in biblically sound churches too. You're right, it does. Here's the thing. How do you deal with someone who has misused the Word of God, because that's what's happening, to further abuse. Well, you don't reject the Word of God and you don't reject the clear teachings of Scripture. What you do is you go further into Scripture and you look at where it says how we deal with church discipline. Church discipline is, is, is seriously lacking in throughout American evangelicalism, much for the reason you just pointed out, Rich. We don't want to scare people off. So we're, ter we're terrified of using church discipline. We're terrified if we hold people accountable to the Word of God, we're going to chase them out. So why do you... Hey, yeah. One thing real quick I want to add in this. Church discipline today has been replaced by the word tolerance. Yeah. If we impose church discipline, we're not being tolerant. We're not being loving. And we've done episodes on what biblical love actually means. Mm -hmm. In today's world, among professing Christians... Sadly, the word love is more implied when it when you in feelings and emotions versus agape. 
and in I hadn't planned on reading this yet, but I think this might be a good portion in First Corinthians. Is it? Uh, I'll hand it back to you. I'll find my <laughs> note. I'll, I apologize. I no wasn't worries, quite brother. prepared for that. No worries. And and so there's there's that issue. The other thing is is you don't solve sin within the church by importing that which is not biblical. When you bring in an outside ideology and say, well, the Bible says these things, but you've used them for sinful purposes, so we need to just stop doing those things, and we need to import this ideology, which itself is not found in Scripture, but it sounds nice, what you've then done is actually made the situation much more ripe for additional sin within the church. Maybe you maybe maybe you whitewash the abuse and, and, and this part doesn't seem to be happening as more, but now what you've done is you open the door to rampant uh, sin on another level. So you say, well, we don't like, for example, going back to, and we're getting way off track here, we need to get back to what we were saying, but getting back to the whole patriarchy versus, uh, evangel- uh, excuse me, um, egalitarian view. Well, patriarchy bad because it's allowed for abuse, so egalitarian good, it, it elevates women, except what happens in, in egalitarian churches, women begin to take up roles and positions Scripture says you're not to have because there is a representation of God and Christ with the church in those structures. You've, you've now ignored Scripture on this issue, and you're bringing in something else. So if we can ignore scripture there, we can ignore it over here and we can ignore it over there. And then you have people like uh, a certain person who touts the fact that she's gone to seminary and she has this massive degree, but she then affirms transgender people, which that was a discussion that happened alongside all these other discussions this week where she did the same thing and said, well, I'm, I, I'm saved by Jesus by grace. So it's all, it doesn't matter what you think of what I, what I affirm. That's a whole nother set of sins that you introduce into the church when you reject the truth. The way you solve the issue isn't by rejecting biblical truth and importing something else. The way you solve the issue is by going deeper into biblical truth and holding people accountable for their sins in a biblical manner. So bring that get you to that and we'll get back on track. (laughs) Uh, I will pose this for you to answer in just a moment. At this point, Anyone that's listening to this that disagrees with what we're saying is going to make the claim, well, now you're just being divisive over secondary issues. Um, The issue of women preaching, that's just a secondary issue. You know, anyone can preach, anyone can teach. The Bible, you know, Christ brought freedom to men and women, so they're all allowed to be equal and, and, and serve the Lord in the way they feel like they're called. My problem is, and my question is, who are you to decide what is secondary and what is not secondary when it comes to the Word of God. Who made you God of the Bible? Who made you Lord over the verses? Who gave you the authority to decide which of the scriptures and which of the verses you can declare and determine that is primary or secondary? Now, granted, there are some issues that are issues of meat and and an issue of conscience, but we're not talking talking about whether it's a sin for someone to get a tattoo or to go out smoking or to whether they should have, whether it's a sin for them to drink a beer or not. 
We're talking about things that are explicitly written in black and white in the Bible itself that says, okay, here are the qualifications to be a pastor. My question is, okay, I'll give you the benefit of, a doubt, of the doubt. Women can be pastors. Now show me from Scripture where those qualifications are listed, because not once have I ever seen anyone that supports the idea of women preaching using the qualification verses from Paul and applying it to women. They have no discerning qualifications from Scripture when it comes to the qualifications of a woman being a pastor. The only qualifications I've seen based on so much that I've read and witnessed and, and videos I've heard, the qualification is, well, this lady can preach really good, so we've decided that she should be a pastor. I could be wrong. If some if some of you have come across where the qualifications of a woman pastor is being addressed, I'd love to see it or hear it because I am yet, after seven years, I am yet to come across any reference to what qualifications are for a woman to be a pastor, much less qualifications from Scripture for a woman to be a pastor. But the verse I was trying to remember earlier, brother, was um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to, re as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. That love referenced in that verse is not the love of others. It is not the type of love that the world demonstrates and defines as being tolerant and supportive and emotional. That love is true love of Christ, love that constrains you, love that makes you want to submit Christ in every aspect of your life, in thought, word, and deed. That's the type of love that is being described in this verse, brother. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which goes right back to what we're talking about. But just because I know there's somebody going to get real squawked about all those qualification verses, you're just being mean to women. I will tell you this week, I got beat up by I don't know how many people who were angry with me because I said a particular man is not qualified to be a pastor, and that's Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll has demonstrated by continuous unrepentant sin and the fact that he refuses to step down from pastoring despite that unrepentant sin. He is unqualified, he is disqualified scripturally, and nobody, nobody, nobody in the Christian church should be promoting or aligning themselves with this man, and some are. And I caught no end of grief. How dare you try to disqualify what God has qualified? Really? Go read First Timothy, go read Titus, then get back to me. Oh, you don't want to do that. You just like the way he sounds. All right, off you go. Have a nice day. So we are not just talking about it from a, a, a gender perspective. We are talking about it from a biblical perspective. All right, so getting back on track, that love for Christ, love for his word that constrains us. So when we are talking about examining our profession of faith, you can't judge me. I believe in these core doctrines. When we are people that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are people who adhere to these doctrines and live them out. Okay, 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Now he's saying, I'm going to interrupt myself. 
practice of sinning, not struggling with sin, a practice, living in an unrepentant lifestyle. This is what John is referring to. Makes a practice of sinning, um, is practice, if he practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, this is Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no, and no, or no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, meaning as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So there is a practice of sinning, a lifestyle of sin, a refusal to repent of sin, a refusal to come in conformity with the scriptures that is evident no matter what your words say, your actions demonstrate this ongoing refusal to repent of sin, a refusal to be conformed to the word of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 tells us about the works of the flesh. Now, this is what, if, if you claim you're a Christian, but you are living in this unrepentant lifestyle of sin, if you are constantly you know, refusing to conform to the commandments of God, you claim, I believe these things, but you're living this way, there's a problem. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Okay, we usually go for the big ones like the sexual immorality. Let me say these certain ones again. Enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Think about that. People who are currently engaged in attacking the Christian faith, attacking what the Word of God says. Um, Brother, you, I want to okay. make a clarifying. I want to make a clarifying statement real quick, in case someone's listening to this and do not and they do not understand. There's a huge difference between fighting against these sins. Mm -hmm. versus falling headlong first over into them, embracing them, living in them, and denying that you are living in them, not willing to be corrected, not willing to submit to the Word of God and examine yourself according to what Scripture lays forth, and, and, and truly, truly praying and asking God to reveal sin in your life and asking Christ to reveal to you if you're guilty of these things and then be willing to fight tooth and nail to cast them away from you, to do, as Christ said, to cut off your arm to prevent you from sinning, to do whatever it takes to get these temptations out of your path. If it means going offline and never getting back on Twitter or not writing mm -hmm. another article, we have to be willing to do these things to prevent us from falling into these temptations. There is no such thing as sinless perfection as long as we're walking this earth. Mm -hmm. We will sin, but the difference is whether we're willingly 
and willfully and joyfully embracing these sins and making a daily habit of it, or if we are fighting against these sins and praying Christ to strengthen us against our temptations. Most people don't understand or never examine or come to the realization of what their own temptations are. And that's critical because you don't hear that being taught in today's world, do you, brother? No, you don't. You really, really don't. And that goes back to that issue of practicing, making a practice of sin. Like you say, there's a struggle against sin, you know, and, and like you say, Twitter, we do that a lot. We, we struggle with sin because we want to say things we ought not to say and, and, and respond in ways we ought not want to. So if you need to get off social media to stop yourself from sinning, then do that. But when we are dealing with this issue of people who are professing the Christian faith yet are going to war with biblical truth to the point that they will misrepresent the Word of God, misrepresent factual evidence, whatever, to the point of creating divisions, rivalries, dissensions. You've got to stop and ask yourself a question. At what point does my affirmation of core doctrines of the faith come, uh, come become a mirror and show me that I'm not living according to the fact that I claim I affirm these truths because I'm warring against biblical truth. You know, so let's let's talk about this issue of salvation. You know, when we say, okay, I'm saved by Jesus Christ. You can't take my Christian faith from me. I'm saved. By your, it's not by works, right? It's Jesus Christ. Well, what does Romans chapter 10 tell us? Verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is it is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So yes, salvation is when we, it comes when we profess faith. Now we can get into soteriology, the, the ordo salutis, how that comes about. But the reality is salvation is it comes when we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ we hear the truth that we are sinners bound for hell. We deserve God's righteous wrath. Christ, in his love and in his mercy, took upon human flesh, came and lived a perfect life, died the death that sinners deserved, went to the grave. Uh, after Christ, uh, God poured out his wrath upon him, three days later was uh, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, and by repentance and faith, turning from our sins and turning to Christ, we profess Jesus as Lord, we believe in him, and we, we call upon his name, we shall be saved. That is the gospel. Yes, that is absolutely true. That is how we come to faith in Christ. Absolutely true. And it is absolutely true. It is not by any work, which is why the cult that's going after Grace Community Church needs to really read their Bibles better. Ephesians 2. Hey, brother. Yes. I want to interject for just a moment. One thing that's critical to understand also is that 
the the issues and the people that Chris and I are discussing and addressing, we're not talking about people that are new to the faith or mm-hmm. ones that have professed to be saved in Christ maybe a year ago or two years ago. We're talking about individuals that have made a profession a profession of faith for years and in some instances for decades. We're talking about people at this point in time who should be fully mature or have some level of maturity in Christ who should be truly exhibiting fruit of the Spirit and not being, as Paul said, carnal in their behavior, meaning that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, much less one that's professed to be a Christian for 30 years. Now, granted, sometimes some of these individuals truly believe that they are actually fighting for the faith and not understanding or not seeing that they are actually being a cause of division. But that also gets back to the point and to the issue of, is this person willing to take correction? Is this person willing to examine their own emotions, thoughts, and opinions compared to what the Word of God actually says? Mm -hmm. Sadly, in this conversation, these individuals are not. Their attitude is, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And more times than not, and I'm going to ask you this, Chris, and hand it back to you. The More times than not, the argument then becomes, well, you're just being legalistic. If someone thinks that you and I are just being legalistic in these issues, how would you respond? I think the problem is, is what do you mean by legalistic? Legalistic implies that I believe that there is some sort of work, some sort of obedience that is necessary to make me savable. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Has there's no there's no possible way you can discern that we are being legalistic if what we are saying is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which then, which gets into the next portion, leads into a desire to be obedient to the words of God the word of God. That's what John wrote in his, his uh, you know, his, he's, three, he's got the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In his epistle, he says that if you are continuing to practice lawlessness, you are not in the faith. It is not that you are saved by obedience. It is that if you are saved, you will manifest that by your struggle against sin and your desire to be obedient to the Word of God. That is what he is writing about. And how can we say that? Well, we did an entire episode on this. But and when if I can remember to go find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But we did an entire episode about this where we talked about what happens when we are saved. We become a new creation. See, a saving faith is a transforming faith. You're not going to be perfect. You'll never be. You said it earlier. We're not sinless perfectionists. We're never going to be without sin. While we are in this world, while we wear this flesh, until God brings comes in glory, and takes us up with Him, and we are come to that that final stage, that glorification, where we eternally reside with Him, and we never sin again. But we war against sin, and we can war against sin because we are a new creation. How do we know that? Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We've been made new. 
What does that mean? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament where Ezekiel the prophet speaking for God to Israel, speaking of what would happen in the future, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be care- and be careful to obey my rules. God has prom- promised you know, in the Old Testament and with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of the one who would make atonement for sin, that those who believed upon him would have a new heart and a new spirit and it would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he would cause us to walk in his statutes. No longer a desire to, to be enslaved to sin, but rather freed from sin. Romans 6, yeah, verses 15 through 18. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once, once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were commit, uh, to which you were committed and you having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness see when we're when we have a genuine faith a professing faith is not just words when we have a genuine faith and we and we have been transformed we are new creations new heart new desires indwelt by the holy spirit freed from the bondage of sin Now we have a desire to walk in his statutes, a desire to be conformed to his word, to bow the knee to Christ, to bow the knee to his word, and to seek what he desires for us, not what we like more. So when we talk about individuals who are challenging the word of God and are saying, no, I don't like that. I don't like that how, how that makes people feel. I don't like how that uh, tells people who are sinners that they, that, that they need to be uh, repentant of their sin. I don't like how that's not, not very welcoming. I don't like how that uh, you know doesn't have the outcome that I like. When they're challenging the word of God, yet they are professing core doctrines of the faith, we have a problem. Because how can someone be in direct contradiction to the word of God? And I'm sorry, oh, these are secondary issues, they don't matter. Number one, that there is no such thing as a doctrine that doesn't matter. You, all doctrine matters. Our walk is affected by our doctrine. All doctrine matters. Number two, if it's not a, it, it, let me let me hit it back at you. If it if it's a secondary issue and it doesn't matter, then just agree with me. Oh, oh, it's no longer secondary. That's the problem. You are telling me it's a secondary issue. Because you want me to not submit to God's word and agree with you. But when I challenge you, oh no, that can't be the case. It's a secondary issue, so just agree with me. No, that's, that's, that's a problem. You're now relegating important doctrines, especially things that are spoken of clearly. Going back to the Kevin M. Young, who wrote a post not long ago saying, oh, God, help us how terrible we are that we exclude trans people from the church. We are telling people that they must repent and turn to Christ who genuinely part of the church. See, the church isn't the building. The church is the people. 
And this is where I'm going to turn, you know, those people, well, I don't have to go to church. I I am the church. Well, no, the, the church is the body of Christ. And we are called to not forsake the gathering of the body of Christ. But those who gather need to be of the body of Christ. That's the church. Church is not a place to welcome people in and make them feel comfortable in hopes that you might coax them into a decision. The church is the bride of Christ purchased with the blood of Christ. So when you then say, well, it's a secondary issue. I've relegated it to something that's not important to where I have to change, but you have to accept what I say and change your practice so it makes me feel better. You're, 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 you're arguing out of both sides of your mouth. One, you're trying to say it's not important, so shut up. But it's really important, so listen to me. You're warring against the Word of God. How do, how do you war against the Word of God and then claim to say, I profess these doctrines? That's a problem. Well, how do we get there? Scripture makes it clear that there are those who profess faith, but they are not true believers in Christ. How do I know? Let's go to what Jesus said in a couple of the gospel accounts. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words does them. And I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the when a flood arose, the stream broke against the ho- that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But he who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground with a without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. There are those who profess to be followers of Christ, who build their house. And what they build their house upon reveals the state of their of their soul. When we seek to be obedient to the word, when we conform ourselves to the word, not seek to change the word to make it feel, make ourselves feel better about circumstances or try to get the outcomes that we want or try to make the church look the way we want it. When we dig deep and study the word of God and examine ourselves in light of the word of God and conform ourselves, we are building this strong foundation that will resist any, any storm that comes against it. But when we say, no, 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 I did, th- those things are just, they, we don't like how they sound. Man, they sound sexist, they sound racist, they sound bigoted, they sound that, they sound, they sound unkind, they sound unloving. We're not going to go there. You've built no foundation. And the storms that come against it destroy it. And the storm that will one day reveal all who have built on no foundation is God's coming again in glory when he will judge the earth. And even if you have managed to live your entire life with this outer veneer of an appearance of, of a Christian virtue, your entire house will be knocked out from under you and you will be condemned for eternity because you have rejected the word of God and refused to be conformed to it. It is like putting up plywood walls, painting a big, you know, uh, 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 a great look of a house upon it, and one stiff wind will knock it over. It looks like a house. Sure seems pretty. You know, manicured lawn and everything. One stiff wind, the whole thing falls over. When you profess, I believe in these core doctrines. But you live in such a way that you reject what the whole totality of Scripture says. About you becoming into conformity to the Word of God. 
and rather you're trying to conform the church to your image of it, or you just don't care what anybody says, you're going to live it and you're going to claim to be a follower of Christ, you have no foundation. You have a gutless house. It will fall. Absolutely will fall. It is a false profession of faith. This is the words of Christ. This is not the words of Chris. This is not the words of Rich. This is the words of Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there are going to be people who not only profess to believe these core doctrines of the faith, they're going to do all kinds of work, man. They're going to look busy. They're going to do all kinds of stuff to really make it look like they love Jesus. The problem is they're doing the work that has nothing to do with the works that God gave them to do because they refuse to be obedient to the word of God. You live your life in rank sin and are chasing after the things uh, of the flesh, but you are busy outwardly. You can profess faith. You can be busy as all get out, but in your heart of hearts, you are wicked and vile, unrepentant and still chasing after the sins of the flesh because what matters to you and what you desire is more important. Jesus says you are a worker of lawlessness because you refuse to be conformed to his commandments. Remember, this isn't about earning points by being obedient. We can't do it to begin with. The law reveals we can't. But when we are indwelt with that new heart, we are that new creation, and we have the Holy Spirit in us. The desire to be conformed to God's commandments is natural. We fight it because we're still in this flesh, but we're trying to come to conformity. But the person who can continually rebel against the word of God and deny its truth, and then say, but you can't question my salvation because I believe Jesus uh, saves me by faith alone. You've revealed you have no faith alone. That's what terrifies you. It should terrify you. You were talking about this earlier in, in the book of James, Rich. James chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works, James says. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, you can profess an, an empty faith, and the, at best, you're at demon level. Go ahead, Rich. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, um, and the works that James is talking about is love of the Father. Christ himself addressed that when asked, what are the works that we should be doing of the Father? And in this, there's also a distinguishing point within this context of this verse. Even the demons believe and shudder. The difference between a demon and a true born-again believer in Christ is desire. The demons have no desire to obey Christ. They have to because Christ is God himself. Mm -hmm. We do have, and we won't get into this discussion, but as far as free will goes in the context of this, we have free will to a certain degree, 
I can make a decision whether I'm going to turn on the television and watch some triple X or R rated movie. I don't first, because I don't want to, I find it repugnant, but deeper than that, it's because I've been transformed by the word of God. Christ has transformed me to not want to do that. He's given me a new heart to find that repulsive. The, the distinguishing factor is a desire to obey versus a desire to find a loophole in obeying. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the issues and some of these individuals that are supporting everything under the sun except what the Word of God actually states, based on my experiences with talking with some individuals that support, say, homosexuals or trans and thinks that we should welcome them in the church. If, if you can get into a deep enough discussion and find an individual who supports these things and is willing to open up to you, it's been my experience more times than not, they support these things because they're trying to, to avoid being a hypocrite themselves because in somewhere in their life, they're supporting some form of sexual immorality themselves. They don't want to be hypocritical by condemning a homosexual's lifestyle or condemning welcoming in trans because to do so, they know that they would be a hypocrite. They know that they are supporting, embracing, and indulging in certain sins that they shouldn't. So, of course, they're going to affirm someone else that is doing these things. I can't say everyone who supports those things is a hypocrite and is indulging in some form of sexual immorality. But based on my experience and some individuals I've talked to, they have admitted, yes, I'm addicted to watching things I should not watch. I'm addicted to doing things or having sex outside of marriage. And when, when you unravel these things, that's part of the problem, is that you've got so many people that have been invited to church and made a profession and still think they, they may not realize that they are trying to earn their way to salvation or think that they're trying to work to keep their salvation, they would deny those things by their mouth. But in practice, that's actually exactly what they're trying to do because they think, well, if I do enough good things, it'll outweigh my bad things and I'll be okay. That is still the mindset of many Protestants, many professing Christians in, a, in American evangelicalism today. They would deny it by in their words and in their doctrine but when it comes to how they're living their life, they still think that they need to be doing X, Y, Z in order to be saved or do X, Y, Z to keep their salvation. And in some other circumstances, it's just a matter of, they, they as the old saying goes, they want their cake and eat it too. They want to be saved in Christ, but they still want to live their life any way they want to. They, they confuse the Constitution with the Christian faith, thinking that, you know, I have a right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, not understanding that, you know, Christ says you must obey me and conform to my image. They think, well, I've got the liberty and freedom to do whatever I want. Well, not in, in, in according to Christ, you don't have the liberty to do anything you want. We do have liberty in Christ, but we don't have liberty to sin in Christ. And what I'd like to encourage our brothers and sisters, and I'll let you close this out, but the truest form of love is to want to see one to see someone else saved 
from the bondage of sin. We want to see one, see someone saved from being a slave of Satan. We want people to become slaves of Christ. We don't want them to be slaves of Satan, slaves of sin. And we do that by explaining, proclaiming, preaching the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ by defining sin as the Bible defines sin and use that in contrast to elaborate and glorify the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ, the salvation in Christ to set us free from that bondage of sin. And what we need to do as Christians more and more and more is make it a habit of being engaged in evangelism, whether it's conversations, handing out tracts, leaving tracts, engaging online, sharing links, sharing digital tracts, whatever. But that is the only hope and solution we have. And it will not be an easy, quick fix overnight like so many people want. It's going to be one person, one soul at a time. We cannot save, as it was put to me once, we can't save everyone. In fact, we can save no one. Only Christ can. Our duty as Christians is to proclaim his truth. And anything after that is up to Christ. We're not even commanded from Scripture to try to seek a decision. We are to cast seeds to the soil and to the wind, and anything after that is up to Christ. But we've got to be faithful to the Word of God. We've got to exposit the Word of God. But we also need to be proclaiming the biblical way of salvation as God defines it to those within our earshot. And sadly, even among professing Christians that are actually engaged in quote-unquote evangelism, much of the evangelism that they are engaging in is not biblical evangelism. It's based more on worldly ideologies, pragmatism, or just trying to pack the pews with people instead of wanting to see people conform to the image of Christ, brother. Amen. Amen, amen. So I want to leave one last thing with you. Um, a couple of passages out of 1 John uh, chapter 2. 1 John is a fantastic, and we've said this before, a fantastic epistle that challenges the Christian to examine his walk. One of the worst things we've ever said to people was, oh, you're saved, never question it. It's not that we want people to be doubters of their salvation, but we want people to recognize the scripture says something about our salvation, what it looks like, how we can see the fruit of it, and how we should be concerned if, the, if we're not showing that fruit, and in fact showing the, you know, the works of the flesh. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-6, through 6, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now stop right there. For any of you struggling in sin, that is such a balm to the soul. We have Jesus Christ the righteous, who is our advocate. Yes, we are called to be obedient to the word of God. Yes, we are called to avoid sin, to war against it. But if we do sin, if we struggle and yet still stumble and fall into sin, we have the perfect advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is arguing our case before the Father. Praise the Lord.
John goes on to say, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to Him, if we keep His commandments. It, Christian, if you are struggling in your sins, and you are desirous to be obedient to the Word of God, this is the evidence of your faith. Take assurance. That struggle that drives you insane and you begin to question, praise God for your struggle because you desire to keep His commandments. He then goes on to say, whoever says, I know Him, going back to what we said, hey, I I affirm the core doctrines. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him Truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, meaning in the way Jesus walked. Those of us who desire to be conformed to the word of God, that the word of God is what is is basically, you ever seen that mold, those big machines, they they press this big chunk of metal and boom, out, out comes a car door. That's the word of God. It slams into you and it shapes you into the image of Christ. Imagine if that piece of metal put its hand up and said, nope, you're not going to conform me. I've determined. I don't want to be a station wagon door. I want to be, be a Porsche door. That piece of metal is coming down one way or the other. It's going to be a station wagon door. <laughs> That's how ridiculous the notion would be. And yet, when we war against the word of God and we say, "Eh, no, 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 scripture doesn't really say that. Uh, No, 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 we can't say that. Uh, People might not like it. Oh, no, 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 we can't. We have to be accepting of of these things that the Bible calls sin. We have to to find a way around that. No, 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 no. And you're warring against sin. It's as ridiculous as that chunk of metal trying to stop that massive metal press from coming in and forming that door. Now, I grant you it's an analogy, and all analogies fail, but that's how ridiculous the notion is when we try to force ourselves against the Word of God. And yet, as John says, you have someone who says, oh, I know who Jesus is, I follow him, and then they don't do what he says. When you war against the Word of God, you can't profess to know him. Not if you're in a consistent you know, effort of challenging the Word of God on every detail you don't like. And then lastly, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. This is those who depart the faith. This would be what we call apostasy. Now, this is not a word we should throw around lightly. Um, if you look at uh, the uh, uh, the biblical doctrine, systematic theology book put out by uh, you know John MacArthur and I think it's Richard Mayhew, I think it is. Um, they have they 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 talk about apostasy, referencing uh, out of I think they were talking about Second Peter. I think that's what they were addressing. If you have to forgive me, but he says, second scripture also identifies those people who are counterfeit, who counterfeit their profession of faith in Christ, outwardly and temporarily giving the appearance of being truly regenerated by the Spirit, only to fall away and abandon the faith 
uh, see Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, 3, 7 through 13, 6, 4 through 6, 2 Peter 2, 20. This is apostasy, a, mer- a term that means to fall away. Professing Christians who identify themselves with Christ and then, dem- then subsequently renounce him prove themselves to have never truly been converted, demonstrated by going out from their fellowship of the faith that they were never really in Christ. Uh, again, referring to 1 John 2.19. Peter wrote that, the, the, uh, that for these spiritual impostors, their last state becomes worse than the first, and it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteous, righteousness than to have known and turned away. Again, 2 Peter 2.20-21. Uh, this is because it is impossible for someone who has truly abandoned the faith in light of full revelation to be renewed again into repentance. Again, Hebrews 6, through 4, uh, 6, 4 through 6. Similar to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, apostasy consists of a hard-hearted, resolute rejection of Christ and, a, and of regarding as false the truth of God from which there is no point of return, so to speak. Though that point may be only knowable to God, there is a kind of rejection that excludes the possibility of repentance. And again, that's from uh, Biblical Doctrine, page 352, um, published by Crossway. That is the very possible inevitable end for those who say, I know Jesus. Here's my bona fides. Here's what I actually believe and continuously, repeatedly reject biblical truth, refuse to be conformed to the image of Christ, war against biblical truth, call for a... I'm smacking my microphone. (laughs) Sorry. Call for a change in the church to, to believe and practice something that is foreign to Scripture, who encourage the acceptance, affirmation, and celebration of sin, and they themselves refuse to be repentant when confronted with what they're doing. Again, apostasy is a major term. We should not ever use it lightly. We have to be very cautious. It has been said, we've done this on social media. It's really easy to do. Oh, that dude's apostate. Some of them really evident. Okay? Really, really evident. Not a, not a problem there. But we need to be very cautious when we have people who are professing believers in the faith and they have not just outright abandoned the church, abandoned Christ. But that is a path to apostasy. Those who reject what the Bible teaches, refuse to be conformed to its truth, challenge, fight against the clear teachings of Scripture, and then say, oh, it's a secondary issue, so really just let me be. I want to change how you believe. I want to change what you practice because what I believe about what you do as a Christian is vile and terrible because bad things have come from it. But it's a secondary issue, so you can't call me not a Christian. That's a dangerous path, folks. That's a very, very dangerous path. Because you still are going to come up against the truth of Scripture for what has been taught for 2,000 years in the history of the church. 
You're going to continue to war against it because you don't like what the Bible says. You don't like what these Christians teach. You don't like how this outcome came out. You don't like it, uh, the fact that it, it speaks against this particular sin. You don't like how it makes you feel. You don't like what th these people are excluded from it for. So you want everything to change. And then you want to throw up the... the, the um, the trump card, so to speak, that's probably a dangerous term anymore. They hold up your trump card and go, but I believe in the core doctrines of the Christian faith, so I'm still a Christian. You can't call me a not a Christian. You, you can't say I'm apostate. Folks, that's really, really dangerous. And we ought not be encouraging people, nor should we allow them to hold up that card as if it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. We should challenge them on this issue and say, you are refusing to repent of, the, of your rejection of clear Christian truth. You are embracing that which the world says the church should be. And you're holding this up as if that gets you out of trouble with God? Folks, it is absolutely 100% correct to say we are saved by faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Absolutely. But genuine Christian faith transforms because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth through the study of his word. And if you ever find yourself going, well, let me read all these other outside the sources before I go to my Bible because, man, I must have misunderstood when it says uh, homosexuality is a sin, when it says murder of, of, of a child is a sin, abortion, uh, when it says, you know, here's the roles for men and women, or here here's the, it says that, you know, um, you know that marriage is between a man and a woman, or it says that uh, fornication is a sin, when it says um, that... I, I, I'm not to affirm someone in their rejection of God's creation of their sex slash gender. If you're going to outside sources and then coming back to the Word of God to re-understand and redefine what the Word says, you're rejecting the Word of God for the Word of man. And you're trying to import it in, and you're trying, it's like taking that square peg and slamming it with a mallet through that round hole. Splinters everywhere, the table's getting shredded, but you got that peg in there. I'm sorry, if you're doing that, you do not affirm the core doctrines of the Christian faith, you reject them. Because you want a Jesus who says, Oh, all this is okay. You rejecting my word is okay. You rejecting the clear teachings of Scripture is okay. That's not the Jesus of the, of the Word of God. That's not the Jesus who brings salvation. That's an idol. That is a figment of your imagination. And if you live in constant rebellion against the true Christ and you pledge constant allegiance to the false Christ, 1 John 2.19 is a warning to you. You are departing the faith. 
and it's a departure that reveals you were never in it to begin with. And that should terrify you. Folks, we did this not because we want to pick a fight with people we disagree with. There are going to be lots of doctrinal issues that we have to go to the mat on, so to speak, and work through. And there are going to be some of those that it's extremely important. Look, one of the most frustrating, two of the most frustrating arguments I see going on right now on social media to where I've started to mute people <laughs> are things over like the, the, uh, the argument over the simplicity of God. It's a, it's a doctrine of, regarding his attributes and where we draw our understanding of that simplicity. That's a major doctrinal issue and it's really important. And I somewhat understand what some people are getting upset about. I'm going to let them hash it out because I'm not that bright. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to let them do it. It has to happen. But how we come to that and, and, and the finer points of certain things. Look, if you recognize the simplicity of God, meaning that God is not made of parts, and that God is, uh, is not dependent upon anything, you probably understand more than the average Christian because we don't talk about those. There's some good books on the attributes of God. Go read upon them and, and learn about them. Existence and Attributes of God, I think, is, is a real good one from what I've heard. And I need to, I need to, uh, Warnock, I think, is the one. Not, not, no, not Warnock. That's the, oh my goodness, that's the, that's the senator dude that's a apostate. Um, Charnock. <laughs> Charnock. I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. Oh my goodness. Where's the edit button? Uh, <laughs> Charnock. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry, folks. Charnock. Existence and Attributes of God. I'd recommend, my understanding is that's a really good one to go read. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Uh, so that's a debate that needs to happen. And yet there are people who are having that debate and how we get there, they're all, they're all brothers in Christ. Because they're not warring against the simplicity of God. They're warring against how we got to that understanding and the implications of getting it wrong. Soteriology. There's a certain brother I really am getting really close to muting because he just is antagonistic, it seems like. Um, but that's an important discussion. H how does it, what does it look like is, is, is salvation all of God? Is there a part I play? Unless you're getting into Pelagian stuff, unless you're getting into like full on Arminian, which is, you know, that's a, a discussion for another time where it's like all about you and you, you actually have the ultimate choice to actually even to the point of I can, I can actually cause myself to lose my salvation. Th then you get some real problems. But some of those discussions are important and yet there's brothers and sisters. They're not worrying over the fact that God saves. They're not worrying over the fact whether it's salvation by works or not works. They're worrying over their understanding of how God saves. Okay, important discussions. Not secondary in the sense they don't matter. They matter. But it's not, the, not in the same vein of, oh, well... It's clear that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin or abortions are sin or, or there are roles within the church, but I'm going to reject them all. And I'm going to come up with something the Bible has nothing to say about. That's very, very different. 
And that's why we did this. We're not trying to pick a fight with people we don't agree with on issues. We are saying that if you war against sound Christian doctrine and import that which is not biblical and then demand to be treated, hey, it's a secondary issue, it doesn't matter, and I still affirm these truths, we got a problem. That's why we did this episode, and we went longer than I intended to. I apologize. There's just so much there to cover. So hopefully, hopefully, this has been useful to you because um, when it comes down to it, these are important issues to discuss, and we need to be a people that desire more than anything to be conformed to the Word of God. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this, Rich, is is hopefully to, to maybe point out to people Genuine Christian faith humbles itself before the Word of God and says, God, what you want matters more than what I feel. Conform me to your Word. That should be the desire of every Christian's heart. And if we can't do that, we've got a major, major problem. So I know you gave uh, the encouragement to people about you know, taking this, these, this gospel and, and, and Christian truth to people because this is what we need to be sharing so that they could become a people who desire just this to, to be conformed to Christ. Anything else before we let everybody go? Well, I, I would, if you're listening to this episode and I want you to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, have you ever ever truly examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And I don't mean just a casual thought. I mean, opening up first John and reading it, praying through it and truly examining yourself, not based on your thoughts, wants, opinions, philosophy, what you were taught in school, or even what you were taught in church. I want you to compare yourself and compare your thought life and your actions against what the Word of God actually says. And if you've never done that, I encourage our listeners to truly examine yourself against the Word of God. And if you are offended by Chris or I encouraging you or asking you to examine yourself, if your first thought or first response is judge not, then you definitely need to be examining yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. I've, I've several times over the years, someone has basically said that to me when I get to talking about examining yourself to see if you're in the faith. And the response is, well, you're being judgmental. You're judging me. No, I'm not. I have no authority, no means to knowing your heart. I can't judge you, but Christ can, and he does know your heart. And that's the problem. You need to be concerned about how God, how Christ sees you more so than how the world. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks, we'll take this with you this week. And and uh, it sounds like I may be losing Rich on, <laughs> on, uh, on, uh, on our connection here because I'm getting it beeping at me. So, And it really beeped at me. That was fun. So anyway... Uh, folks, we just want to say thank you for spending time. If you heard all that, I apologize. Sometimes the gremlins like to get in and mess with our connection. Um, it seems like they're trying to get us at the end of the show. Take this with you this week. 
think about, as Rich said, examine your own walk first and foremost. This isn't a tool for you to go heresy hunting. This isn't uh, a tool for you to get into fights online and tell people how, oh, how, how apostate they are. This is to better inform you about your own walk first and foremost. And then when you see this in the lives of your professing brethren or you encounter people who are doing this, you understand what they are doing and what the scripture says about it and how then might you interact with them in a gospel manner to call those professing to be followers of Christ, call them back out of sin in repentance because that should always be our desire is reconciliation. This isn't a fighting tool. This is meant to call people out of sin and back to Christ. So let it be that for you. If you start, if you use this in any way to get into a fight, you and I are going to have a talk. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being with us this week. We are so grateful for you guys. As my brother says, whatever you do, find somebody this week to share the gospel with. And whatever you do in all of this this week, do it for the glory of God. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.